0: those in scripture who help us to grow in our love for others and you may or may not be familiar with this passage the story of Philip in the unit but I think that it's a time in our current context when we need to hear this story and look at some of the nuances and the details that we might otherwise gloss over because this is very far removed from us on its face so going back into the story The angel of the Lord appears to Philip. The embodiment of divine power and authority shows up and says, Get up and go. And Philip does. So he heads out onto this road, and as he's going, he sees an Ethiopian eunuch. And this is important because the Ethiopian lets us know that this is someone who is several shades darker than Philip. And so this is not a Judean Jew coming down the road, instead, this is a foreigner who probably is not aligned with the same religious beliefs that Philip has. And he's a eunuch, which means that he has been castrated. His testicles have been removed. And yes, I just said that. (laughs) I have to say it because we're not going to pull any punches. We have to know exactly what we're dealing with. It's important in the story that we understand what a eunuch is and how that would have been evident. You might think to yourself, well, how does he know it's a eunuch? He knows because back then when someone was castrated and became a eunuch, it would either change the pitch and the tone of their voice, or it would be done at a point when they would not mature their voice as others would. So his voice was very distinct, and Philip heard him reading Isaiah. Now then... You read aloud. You didn't keep it all on the inside for yourself. I think of when we were teaching children to read, and we're like, now try to do it quietly in your head. Back then, you didn't do it quietly in your head. You read out. And so this is a very learned man who is able to read, and it is obvious to Philip. He can look at the Ethiopian eunuch and tell several things. One, he is not me. Two, he is a eunuch. I can hear him. Three, he is very well off. He rides in his own private chariot. He serves the queen of Ethiopia. He is so entrusted by her that he has control over her treasury. That's how important he is. And because he serves her, he's been made into a eunuch. And as he continues this, as Philip could keep watching what's going on, he also knows that he's dealing with someone who apparently has come back from worship in Jerusalem. Now, only one kind of people go to worship in Jerusalem, and those are followers of God the Father. Just as Philip would go there to worship, this eunuch is a believer in God the Father, and he has traveled all the way from Ethiopia, from the court, to Jerusalem to worship. It's pretty astounding when you think about it. And to think about the fact that he could afford to take a paid vacation and take his chariot from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, very well off. And Philip encounters him here, and then the Holy Spirit starts to speak to him Go over to this chariot and join it. And many of us, if we found ourselves in Philip's position, would go, What? I'm not going over there. I don't want to have anything to do with this. This chariot reads hot mess on the bumper, and I'm not going over there. But Philip, because of who he is and his spirituality, goes over. And before he gets in, he hears the eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah, and he dares to do what none of us do in mass transportation. What are you doing? He asks. Most of us, when we get on mass transportation, like to do that thing where we keep very tight, close quarters to ourselves, and we stay very busy on our phone, and we never make eye contact, and we sure don't talk to people. And if they try to talk to us, we scoot down slightly. And so Philip chooses to do something radical. He engages the eunuch. And he asks him, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says, no, how can I? How can I know what this is unless someone explains it to me? You mean you can't just leave the Bible in the drawer at the hotel and people become Christians? Too soon? (laughs) No, it takes encounter." That's the message, is that someone has to open the scriptures. It's a dialogue. It's an engagement. It's understanding that this isn't something that we just read and understand. It's something that we dig deep into. It is something into which we are called to explore together. And so Philip engages him in that. And he says, this is the prophet Isaiah. And he starts to see the passage and tells him what it means. And the eunuch is confused. Is, is the person being described Isaiah or is it someone else? And this is a prophetic passage about the Messiah. He's actually reading chapter 53 from the book of Isaiah. And Philip starts to explain. The door has been opened. And Philip could either ignore this opening in the door or walk right through. And Philip chooses to walk He goes right through it. And starting in Isaiah and the messianic prophecy, he continues to unfold his spirituality for this other person. And he tells him about Jesus Christ and he shares the good news, the text says. And as they're going along, there's this moment when the eunuch sees water and says, Hey, what's to stop me from being baptized? Now, he doesn't have a past of baptism. He's been living as an Ethiopian eunuch in another country. And he somehow developed this worship of Yahweh, God the Father. But baptism is not part of their tradition. And so for him to hear baptism, it had to have come from Philip just at this moment. Philip told him about baptism. And it's such a moving, powerful story that he hears that he says, I want to be baptized. And when he says those words, what is to stop me Philip has them. Philip has the words to stop the eunuch. Because Philip could cite for him Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which explicitly say anyone who is a eunuch, anyone who has undergone genital mutilation is to be excluded not only from the priesthood but from the gathering of the people. That these are forever destroyed beings and that they may not be a part of us. He could cite it, he knows his Torah, It's very possible that he could say at that moment, well, God's law says that you may not. That I cannot baptize you because you are damaged goods. But that's not what Philip says. And it's not what Philip does. They get down out of the chariot and they go over and Philip baptizes this man this man who is the physical embodiment of many things that should never have happened according to the Torah and the law, Philip is allowing him entrance into the kingdom of God. And he opens that pathway for him. When he had the power to say, no, not you. You can believe, you can go to the temple, but you can't do this. This isn't for people like you. Thank God that Philip was the one who was sent. Because he refused to be a barrier to this encounter with God's grace. Because by baptizing him, by showing him what it means to be washed clean of your guilt, he is saying to the eunuch that even in your brokenness, God loves you and forgives you even in your current state of distance and separation and perhaps complete physical transformation from who you were created to be, that even now God can love you and change you into the child of God that you were created to be. And so he gives him that incredible gift, that sacrament of baptism. And the story is not over, for the Holy Spirit then whisks Philip away. But the encounter, as brief as it was, was powerful and transformative because the text is very clear to tell us that while the eunuch sees Philip no more, he goes away rejoicing. He had an encounter that gave him a gift that no one can take away from you. You can't unbaptize someone. You can't say to someone, well, you were baptized in that church. And No. Instead, baptism comes from God. And the gift that was bestowed did not come from Philip. It came from God through Philip. And the eunuch discovers that God's word and truth and atoning death in Jesus Christ is for him. Who cares? We're talking about a eunuch. We don't go around making eunuchs every day now. Politics might look very different if we did. But we don't. So who cares about a story with a eunuch? Well, we have to care. Since the United Methodist Church has called the question on what inclusion looks like, it's time that we figure out what that means for us. And every Methodist will be asked to make that decision, not just as individual Christians, but we will be asked to make that decision as individual congregations, as annual conferences. We will be asked to make that decision, and the time is ticking. February of 2019 is coming quicker than we would like to think and so we will have to wrestle and wrestling is biblical there's nothing more biblical than having to wrestle with what we hear i wish we had the inner monologue that happened when philip realized what god had done here you've brought me to this place to be with this guy no 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 This is not how this is supposed to go. I'm not supposed to be talking to this guy and he's not supposed to be talking to me. This guy is fundamentally disfigured and excluded. He's in violation of your first commandment, oh God. Your very first commandment, the one that came from Genesis chapter one, be fruitful and multiply. He cannot do it. And yet you send me to him? Why? Why would you send me here? What? What have I done, oh God, that you have done this to me? But Philip's got game face on. And Philip gets in. And Philip could have been like, you told me to get in. You didn't tell me how to do anything. I'm just sitting here. (laughs) You didn't tell me I had to like him. You didn't tell me I had to say hello. I'm just riding in a chariot to Ethiopia. (laughs) And I'm going to sit here and... He's reading Isaiah, and I'm going to tell him he shouldn't be reading Isaiah because that's not his book. How dare you? Great, now he wants to know what it means. And he could have gone this way. And when the Ethiopian eunuch said, what is to stop me from being baptized, Philip could have said, I stop you. I stop you. But instead, he doesn't. He lets him in. And if you are to go slightly further in the book of Isaiah, just three short chapters. Chapter 56 says this. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And I have to wonder if Philip remembered that was coming. That by allowing the eunuch To encounter God's grace in the sacrament of baptism, in this holy conversation, in some radical hospitality, that he was fulfilling Isaiah 56. And are we not called to wrestle with what Isaiah 56 looks like here in Crozet? We're called to wrestle. I always think of Jacob. Jacob who not only wrestled with God, but then was disfigured because of it. That sometimes when we wrestle and when we discern and we pray and we seek the truth from the scriptures and from God Almighty, we find out that we're going to leave this exploration different than when we went in. And that terrifies us. Because we don't want to be changed. We are to a point where we're really comfortable with where we are. And we're not so sure that change is going to be fun or comfortable or easy. That it's not going to make revulsion creep up in our esophagus, that instead we think, you know what, let's just do what we're doing, it's okay, it's great, and we'll just keep doing this and everything will be fine and God will forgive us. But look at Jacob. Jacob wrestled and his hip was knocked out of socket. He bore outwardly his struggle. He was able to overcome this disability, though, He went on not only to have 12 children that became the foundation of a nation, but because of who he is and what he did, and his willingness to physically wrestle with the things that are important, to wrestle and engage with God, he transformed how we understand who we are called to be. Jacob was a liar, Jacob was a mess. Jacob committed sins. He stole his brother's birthright. There were all kinds of things that Jacob did. He deceived his blind father. Jacob had issues. He manipulated his father-in-law. He let one of his wives steal the guy's wealth. Jacob's not perfect, and neither are we. In our brokenness, we come before God. And God says to us, I love you. I love you so much, I wish you could understand. God doesn't say to us, you know what, I'm tolerating you right now. One day I'm really going to love you, but right now I'm just tolerating you. I don't think I would have continued my path to ministry if that was the response I got. I don't think that tolerance is what I wanted from a God who says, you know what, everything you thought you were getting? No, meet ministry. That Ethiopian eunuch and every single one of us who have ever been baptized were baptized into the ministry of believers. We were made ministers of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us was given power and authority and given a place in the kingdom to make it bigger. And we decide who we will let into the kingdom. That kind of power and decision making is ours and God gives it to us. How many of you, as children and infants, will run through the gauntlet of theological education to make sure you knew what you were getting into? (laughs) We don't even run your parents through that because they would be like, it's just a pretty baby. Instead, it's about a relationship. It's about God's commitment to every single infant and child and teenager and adult who is baptized, who chooses or, because of the love of their parents, gets to receive that sacrament. And we don't sit around and go, now are you sure you're willing to commit 10% of your gross income for the rest of your life? Three-year tenors on committees, because, you know, trustees. We don't do that, because that's not what it's about. What it's about is the grace, the commitment, the relationship. That's why after I baptize the baby, I walk the baby down to see y'all. Because this is it. You're now tied. You're bound together. Whether you like it or not, God has just knitted you to another human being. And you don't know what they're going to grow up to be. You don't know if they're going to vote like you will. If they will dress like you will. If they will have shoe preferences like you will. You don't know. And without knowing, God says to you, Love them. Love them. Commit. Be bound. Be faithful. And struggle through with this child. And time and time again, the body of Christ says, We will. We will do it. And whether we mean it or not, whether we look at the words on the screen and go, I don't know that I want to be yoked to this kid. I don't know whether this is for me, we say them. Because in that moment, the same Holy Spirit that nudged Philip into the chariot is nudging us into the chariot of that child. Will you walk with them? Will you guide them? Will you talk to them? Will you become part of it? God only knows what they're going to grow up to be. And you may not like it, but you have to love them. We have to pick love because God picked to love us. Not just tolerate us on Christmas and Easter but to truly walk with us all of our days. And when Philip chose to be a paragon of inclusion, he was speaking to Christians almost 2,000 years later. His actions speak volumes. And we need to understand what that means for us. And I don't have the answer. But we will make that decision. We will journey through this. We will figure out what it means for us and how we will be transformed by the kind of love that Philip was willing to show to someone who is the physical embodiment of everything that he was taught and raised and shown to not only dislike, but to shun. And if Philip can love so courageously, who are we not to wrestle with it for our own church? For our own lives. For our congregation. We're being asked to go on an incredible journey. One in which God equips us and gives us strength. And I know that there are times where you think to yourself, I don't want to do this. I don't know that I bought in for all this. This is drama. This is crazy. I can't even understand what is going on here. Do you see what she's wearing? I understand that. But underneath every veneer of clothing and tattoos and piercing, under every word that sounds profane or like teenage vernacular, whatever it is, whether it's accented or not, under all of that is a heart that is molded like Jesus Christ. And our job is to look into the heart. And to not get distracted by the window dressing. Our call from the Holy Spirit is to pay attention to the heart. Because thank God that we are not judged by our exterior. By every single word we utter. And by the way we utter it. Instead, God looks at us and says, in spite of all of this, I love you. And if you will go on this journey, if you will offer radical hospitality, if you will welcome people as I welcome you, if you are willing to forgive and show people that they can be loved, then you will finally start to see how much I love you. I have loved you from the beginning. I have loved you when you would not even tolerate me, says the Lord. And if you go on this journey, then you will just start to glimpse how deep and profound my love is so that you may do it in turn for others. Philip is the patron saint of inclusion. And what that means, I do not yet know. But I know that here and now, brothers and sisters in Christ, the question has been called. And if we aren't willing to wrestle here, we are never going to be able to wrestle here so that we can stand Upright before our Lord on the day of judgment, and say, We did the very best that we could. And we seek your grace. And we just hope that we, in some way, loved people as tangibly as you love us. This is the journey that we begin now in the United Methodist Church, that we seek to discern who we are called to be and what that will look like. This decision won't just change the size of this congregation. It will change whether or not we are part of a church that continues to spread the good news. It will decide whether or not people who are outcasts, people who have been told that they are no good, can discover God's love and grace for themselves. And we do this together. Discernment is not an individual exercise. It is something that we do in community, in prayer, in worship, in discussions, in holy conversation. We will do it together. And our willingness to wrestle means that we have to face the fact that we may not come away looking the way we went in. That our hearts might be turned and that pieces of us may have to be cut away to make room for whatever God is doing now. So this is the beginning of a long journey of a trip that means that we have to be willing to run with endurance this race before us. And I pray that we will because Jesus speaks of eunuchs. Jesus in the gospel account of Matthew says, There are those who were born eunuchs, those who were made eunuchs by man, and those who for the sake of the kingdom will make themselves eunuchs. And what does this mean for us? I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, will show us in the days and months and years ahead. And if our hearts are inclined always to Christ, that we will understand and we will do what the Spirit is calling us to do. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast.